We pray. O God, through the humiliation of your Son, you raised up the fallen world. Grant to your faithful people, rescued from the peril of everlasting death, perpetual gladness and eternal joys. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Let God's people say, Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen Alleluia. And because he is risen, that means that he lives. And because he is risen and he lives, that gladdens our heart because we know of the nearness of him with us and with it, we have his support and his help whenever we need it. And that's the message that the Apostle John was basically trying to convey in the last chapter of his gospel, chapter 21, when he presents to us another one of those sightings. Sightings? No. Not Bigfoot sightings. No, not even Yeti sightings. And definitely this is the Middle East, not the Loch Ness monster sightings, and definitely not UFO sightings. And oh my heavens, thank the Lord, not one more Las Vegas Elvis sighting. <laughs> no, these are Jesus sightings. And if you look carefully at the end of all four Gospels and in the opening chapters of the Acts of the Apostles, you will count up 12 of these Jesus sightings. And these are the first three that we're going to start out with, where Jesus appeared just to the disciples as a group. You remember Jesus sighting number one? Yeah, roll it through your head. You know it. You know it. It's Easter, the first Easter evening. All the disciples are gathered together except for Thomas, right? Thomas is nowhere to be seen. And if, if you think back to the very worst week of your life. I'm sorry to bring it up, but it makes a good comparison. Very worst week of your life so far today. With all due respect and gentleness and sensitivity to that really bad week that you had, it was nothing compared to the week that Jesus had leading up to Good Friday and Easter. It was no picnic for Jesus that week. On Tuesday of Holy Week, every major group of the Jews came at him and got in his face, and they were trying to stick it to him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and even the Zealots, who were anti-Rome, but they were fairly religious, and they were out-of-the-box thinkers. You would have thought they would have been on Jesus' side. Oh, no. No, no, no. The people that he came to save were out to stick it to him. And then his own disciple, one of his own disciples, on Thursday evening betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. Then he gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what do, what do the other disciples do? Now we're down to 10, right? Or 11, right? They all desert him. And so now he is taken into custody and he is mocked and he is ridiculed and he is beaten and he is flogged and he has a staff uh, smacked against him. All of this from people that he came to save. And it's this very same people that he came to save that made the ultimate insult. Pontius Pilate. It's the feast of the Passover, and it is his practice to, to release one of the prisoners from jail into their custody. And he knows that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, is up to evil and wickedness, and they're trying to stick it to this innocent man and get the government to kill him. So he wants to find a way to release him, but he also is looking for a way to kind of get the Sanhedrin to save face, 
right? We got part of what we want, but we're not gonna get all of what we want. So he says, all right, who do you want me to release? Jesus or Barabbas? And everybody knew that Barabbas was a murderer and an insurrectionist, a rebeller against the government. And where did the people that he came to save do? Thumbs down to Jesus. We'll take Barabbas. And so Jesus is nailed to a critical deathbed. He dies. He's taken down. He's put into a tomb thanks to Joseph of Arimathea. He's buried. He descends down to hell where he preaches victory to Satan and his legion and all the souls that have denied the one true God. And then, you bet, he rose again. Jesus is back. Awesome. Now, after all of that, after everything I just described to you, what kind of mood do you think Jesus is going to be in when he shows up to the disciples in the upper room, locked behind doors for fear of the Jews? Is he going to come back as the terrorizing avenger? Is he going to seek out and obliterate and destroy and annihilate and turn into a carbon spot everyone and anyone who opposed him? At the very least, is he going to find his disciples, and now he has them. He's going to chastise them for being deserting disciples? What were Jesus' first words to his disciples that night? Shalom lakem. Peace be with you. All right, Jesus sighting number two. It's a week later. The disciples are all together. This time, Thomas is with them, right? And Thomas had been told after Jesus appeared the first time and Jesus had taken off, Thomas finally shows up the week before. And, and they say to him, we have seen the Lord. And what was Thomas's reaction? It was basically, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, Jesus is back again. So what kind of mood do you think Jesus is going to be in when he appears this time and Thomas is in the room and he can eyeball Thomas? Thomas, you unbelieving dimwit, how dare you not believe the three times that I told you that I was going to rise again? How dare you not believe that I could actually come back to life? What were Jesus' first words to Thomas? Shalom lakem. Peace be with you. Now it's Jesus sighting number three. We're now to the gospel lesson that you just heard in John chapter 21. Jesus, just to rewind a little bit, Jesus, through the women in the garden, in the cemetery, had sent word to the disciples that he wanted them to go to Galilee so that he could meet with them. Right? Now, in this gospel setting of ours that we have before us, Jesus is making good on his promise, and he meets them at the Sea of Tiberias, what we call the Sea of Galilee. Right? Now, at first glance, that opening verse of verse 1 in chapter 21, it sounds, well, it sounds just kind of a little bland, a little bit ho-hum. Listen to it again. Our Bibles say, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way, but, 
But I'm sorry to be such a Greek nerd on you, but this is just kind of exciting. The original language from John, the original word order from the Greek language, is really basically saying this. It's really saying, after he appeared, yes, again. Yes, Jesus himself. Yes, to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's what it really says. This is excitement. This is a headline statement because this is blazingly good news that Jesus has now shown up again. This is awesome news. So, what kind of mood do you think Jesus is going to be in this time? Now that he meets up with the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias slash Sea of Galilee. Is he going to give him finally that good fright from his limitless power? Is he finally going to impress upon them good once and for all that he really is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings by dazzling him, them with his blazing glory? What kind of Jesus sighting is this one going to be? The disciples, after witnessing the simultaneously awful and awesome events of Holy Week, Simon Peter and six other of the disciples have made their way to Galilee. And they're kind of processing the data from the last couple of weeks. And Jesus had told them throughout his ministry with them that basically just about for as long as there has been what you guys call time, the passage of time, this earth has been on the brink of becoming an eternal fatality, and it's because of sin, right? But, but in due course, Jesus revealed himself to be that long-promised Messiah that was going to reverse the effects of that original sin and save God's people. He, he revealed himself to be the Son of God, and he, and he revealed that his message, bringing the kingdom of God, was basically to save this earth from destruction, but more importantly, to save the souls that lived on this earth from destruction. So he had then given his disciples, as we mentioned, the instructions to go to Galilee, and he would meet them there. And they were obedient disciples, at least seven of them were. And there they are, hanging out in Galilee, processing the data from the last couple of weeks. And they decide to go out fishing. And just so you know, just because it's good to understand the context of the Bible, you fish at night. You don't fish during the day. The pros fish at night because the fish come from the bottom where they're safe and protected and they come to the surface and they try to become surface feeders and that's the easiest time to catch. So now it's morning and the fish have already gone down and the disciples know this. And they didn't catch any fish during the best optimal time of catching fish. Their chances now are even less because that's daytime. Now, an interesting thing before we proceed any further with this story, an interesting thing about Jesus, it says in the Bible, no one wanted to ask him, who are you? Do you not find that to be kind of an odd statement? Yeah. Rewind back to the cemetery. Mary asks the gardener, what have you done with my Lord? Where have you put him? So that I might go take his body. 
She thought he was a gardener. It appears as though Jesus' glorified state, his appearance changes. And I think that's what you got going on here, too. Think of the Emmaus disciples. They walked how many kilometers with Jesus in his glorified state, and they didn't once recognize him until he revealed himself when he sat down at the table for dinner and he broke the bread. I think what you got going here is the same thing. The apostles, the disciples didn't recognize him, not because he was a football field length away. It's because he was in a glorified state and his appearance was not the same as his pre-resurrection state. All right, so now getting back to the story, you have this amateur angler on the shore hollering fishing tips to the professionals to put the net on the right side of the boat, and they do it. And I think somewhere in here, this had to be a deja vu moment for the disciple whom Jesus loved, John. A deja vu flashback, and he recalls, wait a minute, this is virtually the exact same scenario and situation that we had back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. <gasps> Peter, it's the Lord! And then Peter takes his outer garment and wraps it around his waist or some of his chest, and he, being impetuous, Peter, shocking. He jumps into the water, and he flies through the water and gets to the shore, and then the other disciples make a beeline for the shore along with him, but in the boat and dragging the net of fish. Wow. And then Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Come and have breakfast. You know, it sure looks right here like Jesus is more interested in a fishing expedition with a beach barbecue than he is in doing the work of the kingdom, like saving souls. But he had a lesson for them here. And he has a lesson for us as well. So here's the first, so what does this have to do with my life from this gospel? When there is a Jesus sighting, you will recognize him not by how he looks, but by what he does. Let me give you an example. Jesus had said to the disciples, bring some of the fish you have caught. Now it is true that it is the disciples who put the net into the water, and it is the disciples who pulled the net out of the water. But it is Jesus who really put the fish in the net in the first place. So can you put the lesson together here? Do you get it? See, what he was trying to do is get them to realize that when he tells them to do something, whether it's go fishing at a time when it seems to make no sense to go fishing, when he tells them to go and share the message of his resurrection, when he tells them to put his promises into action, when he tells them to even endure hardships for the sake of his name, what he is demonstrating in this little miracle of the fish, the 153 fish here, is that he always supplies what is needed 
when he commands you to do something. He always gives you the tools to complete what he asks you to do. In fact, almost always, he gives you more than what you need. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. And you and I so want to feel the full impact of Easter in our lives. We so want to have a totally transformed life because of the resurrection of Jesus. We so want to have our own Jesus sighting. We so want to hear Jesus say to us, Shalom Lakem. Peace be with you. Then why didn't you go to Galilee like he told you? So that you could have your own Jesus sighting. I mean, where did it happen that you stopped praying to him like you used to? Our risen Lord has said to us, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. And he promises to appear through his word and answer every single one of your prayers with a yes or a no or eh, maybe not right now, maybe so. Why did you not go to Galilee like he told you? So that you could have your own Jesus sighting. Meaning, why did you stop looking for him? Why did you stop studying him and learning more about him in the words of his scripture? The risen Savior says to us, my sheep, listen to my voice. And he rises and he appears to us through that word to strengthen our faith and to bolster our conviction and to help us understand better what this world is like and what we are like, but most importantly, what he is like, so that, according to the words of the Apostle Paul, so that we are not tossed back and forth by the waves and so when we're not blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Why did you not go to Galilee like he told you? So that you could have your own Jesus sighting. Have you given up on doing what is right? And by right, I mean God-pleasing because it has become difficult or inconvenient for you? Our risen Savior says, let your light so shine before men that they may glorify my Father in heaven. And so this risen and ascended Jesus, he appears to us through his word to work on our hearts and our minds so that he can brighten that light that the Holy Spirit has placed in us with more zeal and more energy in order to carry out his will. You see, whatever he commands you to do, he always gives you the tools to be able to do it. Why did you not go to Galilee like he told you? So that you could have your own Jesus sighting? And in the context of two years plus of COVID and a worldwide pandemic, why are you still so afraid? Shalom lakem, he says to you. Peace be with you, our risen and ascended Lord says to us. And then he promises to appear to us through that word, 
for the greatest comfort that there could possibly be, the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of his nearness to protect you and to help you. You will recognize your own Jesus sightings, not by how he looks, but why, by what he does, by answering your prayers, by coming to you through his living word and speaking to your heart and to your mind that everything's gonna be okay. I've, I've got this, I've got your back. By those fulfilled promises in your life, and oh, by the way, um, rising back to life from the dead is just for starters right? Um, by giving you the promise of the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins, by, by coming to you in the waters of baptism and from one generation to the next, saving people who are just these little infants that can only eat, sleep, and mm, dirty their diaper. And, and God promises to come into their heart and put the Holy Spirit there and save them and give them saving faith that they believe that Jesus is their Savior from sin your own Jesus sighting that we're gonna experience this morning, where he comes to you in the very body and blood that he gave up and poured out for you for the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins, the strength to serve him with a God-pleasing life. You see, it is only this Jesus who can build up this weary body of yours and, and spark up that weary spirit of yours by what he does giving you the strength to be able to put to death those sinful desires, but then giving you the strength to bring to life that obedience that I want to do what my Father in heaven and my Savior want me to do, to live a life that is to the glory of his name. And that strength, the same strength that he gives you, is the strength that he used to rise, raise himself from the grave. The, the ability, the giving you the willpower to be able to say no to temptation. All you need to do is just not put yourself in temptation's way. That's how you can master that pet sin of yours. If you're having problems with drinking, don't go to LCBO. Don't walk past LCBO and don't meet your friends at the pub. It's really that simple, right? The ability to give you the power to be able to give you the say no to temptation, that very same power that he used to say no to Satan in the desert. He is the Lord, John tells us, using a title for Jesus that indicates that he is indeed the one and only master. He is the master that is all powerful that he still performs miracles, that he is still the ruler over wind and wave and all of nature, and yes, he is still the ruler over even death itself that tried to claim him and failed. And this morning, he has appeared to you yet one more time through his powerful and living word, and he has said to you today, Shalom Lechem, peace be with you. So here, here is the big so what? that he wants you to take home with you this morning from this gospel lesson. These words are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life, life in his name. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen for you.
Shalom Lakem. Peace be with you. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. I direct your eyes now 